Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Nick Frazier Podcast. Uh, on this episode of the podcast, I have Teron Davenport, someone who covers the Tennessee Titans, ESPN reporter. Uh, Teron, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, getting some fresh air outside, so uh, that's always a good thing. How are you? I'm doing well. It's kind of hot outside, but you know what? You get it early in the day, it, it seems to be a good one, huh? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I My body doesn't respond too well to sitting in the AC, so I, I don't like uh, doing that all day, man. I like the fresh air. Yeah, right there with you. Well, Teron, you know what? The reason why I have you on is because, you know, me getting into the business of radio and, and journalism, uh, majoring in journalism in school and you know, I, I really idolize your work and you, you seem to know a lot about football. And that's something that resonates really well with me because, you know, I, I grew up playing football throughout grade school, high school, and so forth. Didn't play in college, but uh, your breakdown of the X's and O's just is just on a whole different level. Do you think that gives you like, a, you know, some sort of, I guess, advantage when it comes to, you know, talking with coaches and players? Yeah, no, that always helps because it's just a respect level that's generated. And then just being able to relate to different things happening, you you typically are able to ask better questions. But the thing is, it's not all about X's and O's, right? There's more to it than just what's happening. Uh, you do have to find stories and things like that. But one thing I found is getting the respect from the coaches, players, on knowing that you have an understanding of the game that helps make other answers a little more sincere, you know, when you're uh, asking questions about particular stories and things like that. So when you were getting into, you know, the journalism aspect of football or just in sports in general, um, you kind of started out up in Philly, right? Yeah, actually, um, I, my first journalism work was in, in San Francisco. Um, okay. I created my own website and I was, I had 49ers, which was, I was, I was writing about, I had one of my college teammates writing about the Steelers, another one about the Cowboys. And it was just the website was kind of like a hodgepodge of coverage on those three teams. But then uh, I did an article on, on Colin Kaepernick and it was after his first start on Thursday night football against the bears. And, he saw it and well, his agent saw it and put it on, uh, sent it to him. He put it on Facebook. And then I was able to make connections with some of the um, outlets out there in, in the Bay Area. First, it was uh, Golden Golden Gate Sports, which was kind of like a fan-sided sport. And it went from there to Bay Area Sportsnet. And that's when I got my first credentialed work, uh, whereas I was able to go out there and be in the press box and get access to practices and those things. So I went from there to uh, uh, covering the Ravens because um, I felt like as I was I was a 49ers fan and I was known on social media as a 49ers fan. So I didn't think that it like the coverage would really come across as authentic, you know. So I uh, said, "Hey, look, man, I'm here in Philly. I could either go." cover the Eagles or cover the Ravens. I'm going to go after the Ravens because I felt the Philly market was too saturated. So I sent an email out to every outlet in Baltimore and one responded. It was a small newspaper called the Baltimore Times, covered the Ravens for them for, for two years. And then USA Today created the Wire Network and 
they eventually built an, an Eagles Wire, which uh, I launched. And in the first couple of years, we reached uh, 10 million page views, over 10 million page views. And once I got there, I was able to blossom. And it's funny because I chose Baltimore initially over Philly because I felt the Philly market was too too uh, saturated. And here it was, Philly is where I really was able to make my mark and get on the scene. And I did some work with NBC Sports Philly as far as the TV is concerned, uh, WI, uh, WIP, uh, Channel 610 uh, for the uh, the radio. And as I said, the, the Eagles Wire at USA Today and those three experiences, ESPN came calling and, you know, and that's a call that's made, you, you, you pick up the phone. Yeah, immediately just about. You're coming on your four-year anniversary mark with ESPN. Is it just like the blink of an eye, like, wow, I can't believe I actually – been with them for so long yeah uh this actually will be um it will be my fifth season because i covered the 2018 2019 2020 21 and uh now 22 yeah so it's um yeah it's really interesting uh it, it's been a quick four years I, i've really enjoyed my time here in nashville and it's it's i mean it's literally been life-changing so yeah it's, I, I love it it's crazy how like the world of sports works because when you start out, like, like for example, yourself, you try to find these small niche markets just about, and then like you mentioned with Philly, you're saying it's oversaturated. Well, sure enough, they come calling and now you come to Nashville where it's almost like you started growing with the city and you're growing with a small market into a bigger market. You think that helps out in the long run with people like yourself and your in your situation to others as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, as the Titans we got, uh, got, uh, began to get more popular, you know, that led to more TV opportunities and things like that. You know, the Julio Jones situation led to more exposure and just their success, I, I think, has, has helped a lot. Um, this past year, yeah, we probably had more page views than um, a lot of previous years, even when I wasn't covering the team. So I, I definitely think that that has, has had a big impact. The Ryan Tannehill situation is a huge story. Derrick Henry is always a big story. A.J. Brown being traded. And this is a, there's a lot of things that have, you know, really sparked uh, some, some huge stories that have helped. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with we're, we're kind of, you know, lingering around this Philly thought right now just because it's very fresh with A.J. Brown being traded up to, to the Eagles and, You've working with the Eagles Wire and USA Today and so forth. Um, give a little context to how you kind of got started in the radio business a little bit. Because I remember asking Michelle at the radio station, I was like, you know, I'd love to have Teron on the podcast. He's just a, a cool dude, love to pick his brain about things. She goes, you know how Teron got his start? I was like, what do you mean? She goes, you know, he, he called into like radio stations. I was like, really? So like, give me a little context here. Is, is that true? Yeah, well, I was a little kid. Um <laughs> I've always been a Mets fan and I used to listen to and, and still do WFAN 660 uh, in New York um, when I used to live up there it, you know uh, my aunt she worked in the McGraw Hill uh, building which is right on 52nd it's across from Radio City Music Hall but yeah just like they would have events and things and you know I, I would ask her to take me and she would take me to Mets games so I just always called into the radio station and um, 
I would call in the mic and the mad dog and <laughs> never got through. But I was able to always get through to Steve's uh, Summers, 10, 10 p.m., 10 p.m. to uh, 1 a.m. You know, oh, I would you got the late window. Yeah, I, I, would, I would call call his uh, his line and, and talk Mets with him. And then it, it went from there to, um, like, serious radio. That was – I, I used to always call the uh, opening drive, talk to Bob Papa, Shannon Sharp a bunch of the guys and I always try to make really good points and they felt like, you know, I was one of the better callers, um, the more logical callers and, and things like that. The different producers, they would invite me up to their, um, their studio, which coincidentally was in the McGraw Hill building, the same building I used to go to when I was a little kid with my, with my aunt. Wow. Um, so I would go up there to the studio, go up to the uh, 32nd floor, uh, you know, had the, had the guest list there, my name on there, and they just, we sit in the studio, and I watched just how everything was was done. And I remember the one time I was in there with, with Bob Papa, and uh, they were on the air. It was a commercial break, and he was like, here. And he threw the uh, the headphones at me. So I called him. He was like, put it on. Come on, we're going. So I put it on, and I talked. And from then on, it was just like an, an addiction was created. Yeah. You know, and uh, I still, to this day, I have that addiction, you know, just putting the headphones on, talking into the mic and being in the studio. is just something that I can't, can't be without. So that's really what happened. Um, Pat Curran and Jim Miller, these are other guys, uh, G, uh, Gil Brandt, um, uh, who else? Alex Marvez. There's a lot of guys like I would call into their shows and they would look forward to it. And it got to the point where like, they would text me like, Hey, call in, you know, and stuff like that. Eddie Brasili, who was the producer initially of Late Hits, and then he had Moving the Chains. And I just always called into the shows and got comfortable. And I remember sitting with Pat Curran one time. Uh, this was during the draft. And he was like, you know, I asked him how you do it. And, you know, he, he said, you just get on there and you act like it's just like here we are now, two guys sitting on a, a bar stool, having a beer, talking sports. And that's really what it what it turned into, and that's how how it happened. Um, I reached out to uh, I, I created a, a podcast on my own, um, showed myself how to how to record, and I would go into the locker room and and, and record uh, uh, interviews and things like that. And then I, I taught myself how to loop that in to the the show, and uh, I was producing a, a podcast, and and you, you know being the podcaster at the same time. And this was back before it was really easy to do that. You know, now it's, it's simple, but before like this, you had to, you know, upload this, you had to record this, had this ready. And it, it was tedious, but I managed to do it. So then once you finally got into the studio itself and didn't have to do all that, it was easy, easy work. So that's really how it happened. Um, WIP, uh, they would have me on every once in a while. And then we we did a, a podcast uh, myself and uh, Barrett Brooks, who used to play with the Eagles and Steelers. He won a championship with the Steelers, but uh, we had a, a podcast that, that we did every week, and um, it took off. And that's where I got most of my radio experience. Now, when you would go to the radio station, did you ever feel like starstruck by seeing these people in person, at, like at the beginning of it, or did it just like you know what I'm here to do my thing with sports? I'm gonna get comfortable immediately. 
you know, the thing of it was they always like they just made it feel like it was just homies. You, you know what I mean? That's it always just had that feeling. Like it's this is one of this is my buddy, man. We just in the city. Now the one time I wouldn't say starstruck, but I was like, yo. <laughs> Uh, I was in the studio and Emmett Smith came walking in. <laughs> no way. And as a 49er fan, you know, I was ribbing him about, I was like, man, you, 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 my team could have had another ring in 95 and 93 if it wasn't for you. And, you, you know, just going back yeah. and forth. He was really cool. So, I mean, there have been times where, you know, you meet guys and you're like, wow, that's, that's so-and-so. But n- never like really starstruck. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious because like, on a daily basis for you, you're going to training camp and it's Derrick Henry to your right shoulder and you turn to your left shoulder and you got a Malik Willis or you got Chig or you got, I mean, Ryan Tannehill. I mean, you just keep listen, listening off the depth chart. You're like, dang, mm-hmm. these are all just Pro Bowl material. I mean, forgetting the name Jeffrey Simmons. I mean, goodness gracious. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool. You get to a point where it's like, okay. You know, these guys are younger than me. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to, you know, but um, it, it's 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 fun. Uh, probably, you know, meeting Colin Kaepernick was was really big for me just because of how much he helped me and didn't even know that he helped me. But um, I wasn't starstruck. I was just like, oh, that's, man, that's Cap right there, you know. So uh, recently when Adrian Peterson came this past season, you know, I was like, you know, that's AP. <laughs> That's a key, man, you know, but for the most part, no, I don't really get that one. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, the Titans have had a lot of, you know, I guess older veterans like Julio Jones and Adrian Peterson, and and you have a few every now and then that straggle in that, uh, like, for example, Randy Moss back in the day, but, you Mm -hmm. know, that that was before your time, I believe, and it's just, to me, as a kid growing up, I'm like, oh, shit like this is cool like these guys you can see them on a daily basis if like that's one thing i wanted to get into this business too is just the fact that not to be starstruck every day it's just the fact that you're doing something you love you know yeah yeah that's the major thing you're doing something you love. like it's funny uh you know i have to do um yes not have to i get to do espn radio um this weekend and i was watching the nba draft and and my daughter was like, you never watched the draft. I was like, yeah, I got to watch it because, you know, I'm going to be on the air this weekend, so I got to make sure I know. She was like, wow, you really get to – you're living a lot of people's dream. Like, you're getting paid to watch it. And I, I said, yeah, you're right. You know, so it is definitely, you know, a, a privilege. It's a great opportunity. Yeah, and you, you a good segue there. You know, you mentioned your family, and I read an article recently, and I'm pretty sure you've read it already, with Diana Rossini. She talked about mm-hmm. Father's Day and so forth and – how you're a father of four and how you're just a big influence on her career and a lot of people in the surrounding of your profession. Did that like kind of touch you in a a different way? Like, wow. Like, did you know she was going to write about that? I assume. No, she had texted me. um, And she asked me if it was okay to do it. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, absolutely. No problem. Um, And she asked me, you know, if she could send me um, like kind of like a questionnaire kind of thing to you know, get some background, some more background of what she already knew. And that, that relationship really like with Diana, I was just being myself, man. Like, it, you know, I found out that she, she was pregnant. I was, I was super happy for her. 
and I just would always text her to, to check and make sure she was good. And, you know, I, I told her different things that I remembered from, you know, going through it with, with four daughters. It, I, I remember different things and told her different secrets to keep her body together and just, you know, be able to, to not show signs that you, you had, a, had a child and things like that. And even, even now, you know, Take, for instance, uh, it's funny, uh, for minicamp, I, I texted her to see if she was coming. And uh, I told her, if you are, just make sure you, you know, you bring a lot of water breaks. You got to bring your sunscreen. It's going to be 100 degrees. And I, that was just me just like, you know, trying to look out for a friend. But she took it like, like, as, like it really, it really meant something to her. Right. So that's, that's kind of an example of, of you know, I have a really good relationship with her. She's like, um, you know, a close friend. Uh, she's helped a lot, you know, as far as like with news and stuff like that. She's always someone that if I'm not sure about a story, I could ask her about it and she'll, she'll either look into it or tell me, yeah, that's the case. And, you know, it's it's really good to have somebody like that in your corner. So, I, yeah, I appreciate her writing that. Yeah, I, I, I love reading it because, you know, from a person on the outside looking in, you know, I've only met you a handful of times and through the radio station, obviously. And I mean, you're a great dude and that's why I have, I have you on the podcast, but to read it, I was like, Oh wow. Like I get a better grasp of who really Teron Davenport is. Like he's not just this guy that goes to Titans training camp and reports on the, on the players and asks these, you know, in-depth really good questions about football and stuff. Like he's, he's a down to earth dude. He's a whole different person outside the, outside his profession. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, the thing that's interesting is you kind of blend the two together, you know, and that's what I've been able to do, just the relationship building side of things and just knowing, that, you know, how you want someone to talk to you or talk about you and, and make making sure that you do it that same way. I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, another thing about, you know, just, you have people to, to rely on in this business, but it's also a very cutthroat business. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So having Diana Rossini that, you know, give you some information on a certain storyline or something like that. Explain a little bit of how yet it is a cutthroat business, but like, how do you, how is it balanced? If that makes sense, a little more context to that. No, I mean, there's give and take with it. I mean, sometimes you have to be the helper to someone else putting a story out. And other times that same person turns around as the helper to you. You know, I know that's kind of how it's worked a lot with, and, and make no mistake about it. There's plenty of news that Diana will break on, on her own without me. You, you know what I mean? But right. a lot of times there's context that's given and things like that, but she does an excellent job, especially with the Titans of, you know, breaking news and things like that. So it's just, it's give or give and take. Uh, the breaking news side of things, like, I like to do it. It's very stressful, though, you, you know, because you really have to cross-check and check. and Because you not only want to be first, you want to be correct, you know. So there's a lot to that. And, I mean, there have been times where I got stuff directly from the source themselves and still was like, man, I don't know. And <laughs> once it breaks, and once you break it and you're, you're like, okay, is someone going to come with a report countering that or what? And it's, it's a process that I don't really, really like, but I mean, it is a necessary evil in, in this field. So 
you know, you do it from time to time. Yeah. And you know, that, that's another thing with today's day and age of being on social media and stuff. Everybody's like, Oh, I gotta be first. I gotta be first. This has to be out this there, that and the third. Well, like, like you're saying, yeah, it doesn't have to be immediate. Like it's better to get your stuff right rather than incorrect and out quicker than everybody else. Cause then overall you're going to look like a fool if you get it wrong, you know? Right. Exactly. So, but yeah, no, I, I really like the context of that and, you know, kind of delving in a little bit more of just your side of things. You know, football is not the only thing that you, 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 you like, obviously you mentioned baseball and I remember seeing on your Twitter, I don't know if it was maybe two, three months ago, you attended a Nashville SC game in, in one of the boxes, right? How was that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's funny because they opened Geodes, Geodes Stadium or Geodes Park, I think it's called, which is the largest for us soccer only, I almost said football, <laughs> largest uh, soccer only stadium in the U.S. and Canada. So I always like to branch out. I want to increase my value with the company. So I reached out to them and uh, my editor first, and he put me through the necessary channels. And I said, look, man, you know, this stadium's open. It's going to be the first game. You give me credentials, I'll go in and cover it. So I, I went in and I did the best I could at understanding what was going on. Um, more or less did a, a evergreen type of story just about the the ambiance and just the, the whole how it was to be at the first game. And the story did really well. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I love baseball. I'm a big baseball fan. Obviously, there's no major league team here. Um, and the Braves are the closest. And as a Mets fan, I hate the Braves. But, you know, I would love to do more stuff with baseball. But it's just that opportunity is not here because we don't have a team here. Yeah, I mean, eventually maybe, you know, Nashville yeah. Stars right around the corner. Hoping, hoping, hoping eventually that does happen because I would definitely volunteer to, to do extra work uh, covering the baseball team. Yeah, I, as a, as me as well, I'm a big baseball fan. I have a connection tied to St. Louis and – you know, I went there to opening day for the first time ever. I've never been opening day. And obviously, Albert Pujols is a big, you know, influence on St. Louis and Yachty and, and Wayno and all the above. So mm -hmm. seeing that in person, man, it gets chills up your, up, your, up your arms and your spine and everything. I was like, damn, this is insane. Yeah, yeah. St. Louis, the Cardinals, that used to be the Braves to the Mets, you know, back when they had Vince Coleman and, yeah, Terry. Tommy Herr, yeah. Willie McGee. They had Andy Van Slyke for a moment, John Tudor. Yep. Oh, yeah, I, I despise those uh, Cardinals teams. The good 80s. The good 80s. Yeah. Man, yeah, they had some good teams come through the come through the ranks. And I don't know, this year, they just – there's something about them that I, – I mean, I'm being biased, but I'm trying not to be. There's just something about the lineup. I think it's just that universal DH spot and just the NL right now and – you know, the AL's always had it, but that universal DH spot is kind of switching up the MLB and, like, how you're playing your DH. Some Sometimes the best batters now are put at, like, this number two spot in the lineup, which normally it used to be the number four spot. So it's kind of throwing a little yeah. wrench into things, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, you know, um, watching the Mets, you know, I've seen uh, Frankie Lindor. He's batted anywhere from second to fifth, you know, and it's it's interesting how they the, the lineup's tweaked. Now, what's your opinion on uh, on the Mets this year? They're like the most hit team when they get into the batter's box. What is that about? Yeah, I, I wonder. I, I mean, 
I don't think that's all like teams targeting him. You know, I, I know Pete Alonso could crowd the plate a little bit. And when you get a power hitter like that, you want to go like inside a little bit to jam him up. So I think that has partly to, to do with it. But they're, I mean, these guys are getting plumped a lot. You know, Lindor, I don't know, man. It's it's, it's kind of crazy. Uh, you don't want to think it's purpose purposeful, but, I mean, you have to wonder. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's only going to come down to the playoffs when it's really going to matter, personally. I think that's yeah. where you're going to see a lot of, you know, uh, load management when it comes to pitchers, and we'll see if they really are targeting or not, you know? Hopefully not. Yeah, hopefully not. Hopefully not. Well, um, I want to get back to the Nashville SC real quick. I know we kind of jumped off on a tangent there, but uh, when you went to Geodas Park and you talked about making the Evergreen story and so forth, um, yeah, you're not the biggest soccer buff, I assume, right? No. Okay. No, not at all. Okay. So when you make the Evergreen story, it's like you said about the ambiance and just the surrounding atmosphere of it all. Uh, initially, what were your first thoughts about you know soccer being in Nashville? I was excited. I mean, I, listen, <laughs> you know, I came here from, from Philly and coincidentally the Philadelphia union were the team that that's the team that uh, Nashville SC played in, in the opener in that game I was at. But I mean, you got the union, you got the flyers with a deep history. You got the Phillies with a deep history, the Eagles with a deep history. If there's a sport that has a professional team, they're there in, in Philly. So I mean, that's a major sports town. Before that, you know, I was in New York, and we don't even have to get into that. You, yeah. you know how, how sports are there. So as many sports as possible here is, I mean, that makes me feel more and more at home. So I'm all for the Nashville SC. Um, we actually went to the, um, I think it was the opener at Nissan Stadium against um, Atlanta. We mm-hmm. went to that game as well. So uh, there's definitely, uh, you know, I'm not a, a buff. I can't tell you everything going on, but I can tell you one thing. This city loves soccer. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. I, I for one, I'm a, a big soccer fan. Obviously, my grandparents, you know, coming from Europe, um, my grandfather was a huge influence on me when it came to soccer. And I never got to play it up until, like, junior high. And that's when I, like – it's going to sound crazy, but I was probably like 11, 12 years old. And I didn't know what offsides was. I'd always play like backyard street soccer and there was never no on any offsides and stuff. So uh, getting to know it was the last defender making the, the offsides line. It kind of made more sense and whatnot, but playing it to the next level because I wanted to pursue it at the next level. I started understanding what formations it was like, how to expose this certain area of the pitch, um, expose like the left flank when it's in a four, three, three to the three, five, two. Uh, stuff like that. But for Nashville, I see, I don't know, I, I don't want to jump the gun here, but uh, in comparison to, you know, the Predators, the Titans, and then you have Nashville, I see those are like the three marquee teams, obviously, in Nashville's professional sports. But um, to me, I don't know, I, I could be just saying this, but I think Nashville, SC has the best chance at winning a league title before the Preds or the Titans. Am, am I going off on a limb there? Uh, no, because I, I think the coach has a championship pedigree, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure he does. And I, I know they have some some really good good players also. So, uh, I mean, I can't accurately say for sure. I mean, Predators, 
you know, they had a tough year, but they were in the playoffs. And you got Roman Yossi, who was in the running, you know. He probably should have got the trophy, but, you know, that's a different conversation. Yeah, that's a different conversation for another day. Well, let's get back into more of uh, the conversation that is more, I guess, accustomed to you, better than yet, football, the X's and O's. What 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 attracted you to the game initially? Did you play it growing up as a kid, or mm-hmm. what, what what was it to you? Yeah, I played growing up. Um, I played in, in high school as well, college. I had a few workouts with arena teams, and there was some interest from a Canadian, a couple Canadian league teams, but it just didn't work out. But I just always loved football, like the relationships you build from it. Um, just the sport itself is, is really fun. It really exemplifies life. And I, I just, it's just fun to play, man. It, you know, I still sometimes dream about being able to suit up. And I actually just had a dream last week <laughs> that I was uh, at practice, you know, and actually practicing. You know, for for a game, and I had a dream that I was in a game too. So it's yeah, it's just you just love the sport. Yeah, isn't it crazy how that works? Like you're just like, man, I I miss the sport, and you're like, man, they're out there running like a hundred yard sprints, gassers. I'm good. I'll, I'll pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you you have to cherish when you had the opportunity to, you know, to play or to do anything. You, you got to cherish it because you never know when you won't be able to do it anymore. Yeah, exactly. You know, when I was in grade school, I had a coach that would run the like traditional I formation. So I'd play fullback. And then when it got to, it got to about high school, we changed into like the Georgia Southern, like, uh, was it wing T, right? Mm-hmm. Wing yeah. T. Yeah. yeah. So I was like the H back in the back. And then we had those little T backs that would like run to the backfield motion and then run out again. And then eventually when I got my senior year of high school, we had a coaching change and they changed it to a full on spread. I was like, man, can we have some consistency here? What, where's the fullback going here? You know, there's no fullback anymore. Yeah. Took your position away. <laughs> I know. Right. Um, so what position did you play Teron? Was it the slot or what? Uh, I played receiver. It was mostly outside. I did play some slot, but uh, mostly, mostly uh, on the outside, the X position. Okay. Cool deal. And now you have any like favorite route routes out of the route tree at all or no? Yeah. I used to love the digs, um, post corner and slants. Those were my favorite. Uh, I just running that dig, you know, 10 to 12, breaking it two yards and flattening it out across the field, being able to make that catch right there and turn it up. That was always fun. And the post corner, I always loved doing that, you know, just, Cause you lean into the post and you look this way and you put your foot in the ground and go back that way. And I remember one time I made a, a, a DB fall with, with that and it was an easy touchdown. So those are, and then Andre Reed was always my favorite player. So naturally, you know, the slants were something that I like to do. And that's where uh, you show that you're a man, you know, catching that football in traffic like that. Yeah. Catching it in the box there with the two linebackers possibly. Well, yeah. Teron, we're going to get to, more about you and a little bit there's a segment on the on the podcast is called tennessee tasties nashville nasties we'll get to it that's how we cap off the show uh but eventually we'll get there we're going to cut to a quick break here stick with this we'll be back after this some exciting news that happened recently is with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the newest sponsor of the nick frazier podcast i'm extremely excited for what the future may hold and uh, let me give a little context what SeatGeek is about so SeatGeek is a ticket app that takes the confusion out of buying tickets 
We've all been there. We know how difficult it can be to find a reasonably priced ticket online. Well, hey, no need to worry. SeatGeek offers a 0 to 10 scale, grading the best and worst deals on ticket prices. Now, the deal I can give you is you can use my code NFPOD, N-F-P-O-D, and you can get $20 off your first purchase. Yes, $20. So do yourself a favor, click the link in my bio, use the code NFPOD, N-F-P-O-D, all caps, and go buy some tickets off SeatGeek and enjoy a nice night in the town. Thanks. And welcome back, everybody, to the other half of this episode of the Nick Frazier Podcast, alongside Teron Davenport. Teron, how do you, you like the podcast so far? It's been kind of up and down, right up your alley, or what? Yeah, no, it's working. You know, consistent conversation, that's always a, a key. You get to touch on some other sports as well, so I, I like it. There you go. Perfect. Well, we're going to delve into a little bit of just the X's and O's of, of football real quick. We, before the break, we are talking about how you played receiver and your favorite, you know, combinations from the route tree and so forth. Um, so when you played, like, back in your heyday, I guess the best way to put it, um, did you play in college or high school? What, what was the highest proficiency you played? Yeah, I, I played all the way up through college. And then, uh, like I said, I, I had uh, a few workouts, you know, uh, New York Dragons, New Jersey Gladiators. These were arena teams. And then Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Hamilton Tiger Cats, they were interested, but we just couldn't work it out. So ended up, uh, you know, eventually getting involved one way or the other through, through writing. Yeah. Now, what, when you were a kid, were you like a big writer type of guy or no? You just was like, no. No, I I didn't even major in journalism, honestly. I a lot of, you know, terminology and things like that is they would tell me, hey, you know, do a write through. I had no clue what a write through was. I said, All right, yeah, I got it, no problem. <laughs> I found out what it was and did it, you know. Yeah. Even uh something as simple as uh graph, you know, they would say, Hey, you know, in the third graph, we gotta change this, that, and the third. And I, I when they said that, I'm like, okay. I guess they're talking about paragraph, <laughs> graph short for it. I don't know, but, and I just worked through it. So I, and there's even still to this day, there's different things that come out, um, terminology and things like that, that I just, okay, yeah, yeah, no problem. And I figure it out. You know, I don't have any journalism background. I didn't major in that in school. Um, everything has just pretty much been self-taught. I didn't major in any radio like communications or anything like that so any tv stuff that's all just through the most valuable uh educational piece and that's experience and, and you know reps yeah i assume that'd be your biggest advice for i guess people my age that are getting into the business right just repetition and practice yeah especially now with so many things that are available to you i mean like i said for me you know i used front page to teach myself how to do a website and with front page you're literally designing tables and all this stuff like everything is it's not just type the title here and this that and the third it's it's a lot more detailed um i forget what the app was that i used um spreaker i used uh, spreaker when they first came out for podcasting and then for uh tv work I, I got a I bought a camcorder, figured out what mic plugged into it, and that's how I did TV work. In fact, <laughs> funny story, uh, Darren Waller, the, the guy that you see now with the Raiders, 
he wasn't a tight end initially. He was a receiver, and he was one of the first guys that I did the uh, uh, on on TV, like on screen interview with. You know what I mean? So wow. it's just been it's been an experience. Wow, what was that like? I mean, it was really cool because he's somebody that I really liked um, coming out just because his size that he brought, and a friend of mine actually his son played at the same high school. He came in after waller but uh you know so there was an interest there you know what i mean so when he was coming out of georgia tech um my friend brian he was like hey man watch out for this guy he's and i sure enough he he was a player he just wasn't a receiver obviously he had some personal things going on but you know he, he got him Darius smith that same year you know uh, did some on on screen stuff with him so yeah it was it was really just a matter of like you're putting stuff together on your own and getting those reps that way. A football game plan, Emory Hunt, you know, getting with him and doing a lot of the stuff that we did together, that really helped as well. The, the schedule is about to get busy for you. Let's just put it that way in, in layman's terms. It's about to get busy for you. Um, when it comes down to, you know, asking questions to specific players and you want to get that right answer, how do what is I don't want to give away your secret to journalism, but how do you do? You just ask them straight up, or you just ask them in a roundabout way to kind of ooze out that answer. I think it depends on the situation. You know, sometimes you have to use the sandwich technique, and that always worked best with Colin Kaepernick. I remember, you know, going to those training camps. Like he'll be very short, short uh, worded, um, and he would get into detail with, with a lot of the answers to my questions. They'd be like, how do you do it? And I'm like, you ever notice I compliment them first, ask the question, and then compliment them again? And like, oh, yeah, it's the sandwich technique. Sometimes you have to do that. But um, it, 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 it's a case-by-case thing. I, I think when you're in a large setting, like the press conferences with so many people there, uh, like this opening one at training camp, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people there. So you got to quick hitters, you, you know, and that's how you do it. But it, it, it varies just like from, from person to person and setting to setting. Of course, Rabel doesn't, he doesn't really like the, the, the pre-question statement, you know what I mean? But sometimes it is necessary to, you know, get, get your point across and, and help him understand the angle that you're approaching. Yeah, how how are you able to build that good rapport with Coach Vrabel? From my perspective, watching your vis- videos on Twitter and just so forth, it seems to be that Vrabel has a good rapport with you, unlike some others in the in the journalism room. There, I'll be honest, a lot of that is Coach Vrabel. Um, you know, he gets this bad rap like he's some type of jerk or something, and I mean, he does have that to him, but he makes an effort. You know, and I, I think it's not just with me; it's um, even with Paul Kaharski. You know, uh, there's a relationship there. He's done so many things with Paul outside of the facility, you, you know, whether it's doing one of these Zooms for his pocket, whatever. So I think really the main thing is Coach Vrabel. Um, I remember in 2018, he came up to me, and he, you know, he was, hey, man, what's your background? And I told him my background. He's like, oh, yeah, I, I can see that, you, you know, and that was him coming to me, you know what I mean? And that's one thing I really appreciate about the Titans themselves. You know, my first, so I, I first got here on Sunday, July 29, 2018. That following Saturday, there was an open practice at Nissan Stadium. And I was standing there, you know, just kind of 
uh, recording the guys coming out. And then I had stopped and this guy came walking up to me and he put his hand out and he's like, Hey man, welcome to the market. I'm really glad you're here. I like your work already. That guy was John Robinson. You know what I mean? He said, Hey, this is, I'm John Robinson. And I'm like, wow, two years. I never shook Howie Roseman's hand. Here it is one week. The GM was coming to me. Now, mind you, Howie Roseman, I wrote a book about the Eagles. I submitted a request to have a sit down with him because I was going to do a whole chapter in my book about him. He declined. Different, greater person. You, you see what I'm saying? And John Robinson is, is I'm not going to say he's a better man or anything like that, but he's a more personable guy than what I had been used to. Interesting. I wonder if that's because, <clears throat> excuse me, I wonder if it's because just the market itself. Like you were saying earlier, it's oversaturated. A lot of people that are in that limelight kind of don't want to take that extra extra mile. To get, am I far-fetching that a little bit? I, I don't really think it. I think it's, it's the person. Uh, it, you know, some people, they have certain relationships that they establish, and that's it. And that may have been the case. And I know, like, in San Francisco, uh, Dr. John York and his son, Jed York, they were always really cool, you know, um, Steve Bishotti in Baltimore didn't have a lot of conversations, but there were a few, you yeah. know. Uh, Bishotti, of course, was the owner. Um, Izzy Newsom was the, uh, the the general manager there, and Trent Balky in, uh, in in San Francisco. But even in those two organizations, you know, having a relationship with the owners. And speaking of owners, I mean, Miss Amy Adams Strunk, <laughs> she's something special. Uh, <laughs> I still remember, I laugh about it because uh, we're, and we're talking about X's and O's. Um, in Baltimore, this was at the Ravens game, the divisional one where they beat the Ravens. Uh, I, I'm standing there, right? And I, I get a tap on my shoulder and I turn around and I'm, I'm like, who is this? And then I, I look, I turn around, it's, it's Miss Amy. And she just said, hey, TD, I just wanted to tell you I learned a lot from your White Boy Wednesday videos, and I really liked them. And I was just like, wow, <laughs> that's crazy, you know. So I just love the family atmosphere that this team has. So even circling back to, to Mike Brabel, yeah, he'll rib us and, you know, sometimes be short-winded with his answers, et cetera. But the relationship, that's that's all on him. Like He, he makes the effort to have a relationship with each of us. Yeah. And now you mentioned about whiteboard Wednesdays, you know, we talk a little candidly off the podcast, you know, at the race station, it's going to be a little different this year, but you know, carrying on with that being said, going into the Titans season this year, just briefly, very brief, the offense is just, it, it has its, it has its caveats. And then you look at the defense and you're just like, damn, on paper, they look like a top five caliber team on defense. Where can we find that balance with the Titans this year? Is it going to come around mid-season or if they can stay healthy? What What's the recipe, you think? Yeah, I think really it's going to come down to them figuring out how to get explosive plays in the passing game. That's the main thing that it's going to come down to. And you lose that with A.J. Brown, you know, catching the the – six-yard pass and then taking it 60 yards. So that's something that they're losing. Um, you got to figure out ways. I think Traylon Burks can provide that. That's what he did in in uh, college. So I think there are times he'll be able to help out there. Um, that's the main thing, just finding ways to 
make that defense come. They can't, they can't stack the box. And even when they do stack the box, Derrick Henry is successful with it, but you know, you, you got to find the balance in the offense. I saw that on Twitter, somebody was talking about the Titans or, or the, the Derrick Henry wasn't good against uh, people stacking the box against him and clustered. And you pulled, you pulled the stat right out of the hat. You're like, he has the highest percentage when he is stacking the box. Like, I don't get why people put yeah. out those numbers. That makes no sense. Yeah, he had the most yards after contact. And this is going back to 2020, his last full year. But, I mean, we're talking about like 578 yards <laughs> against stacked boxes. He can run against them. And when you have a guy like that that's able to break tackles, you know, he'll break the tackle at, at the second level. And once he does that, when you have the box stacked, there's no defender back deep so or, or there may be one but i mean he can't cover the whole field so you could uh definitely outrace him all right and the last question i'm gonna ask you before we get to meals with meatball for the tennessee tasties nashville nasties is the secondary you have caleb farley coming off his injury and you got a guy that you draft in rogers mccreary out of auburn and then you have chris fulton and chris jackson and and you know uh kevin byard and like you have a lot of really good, decently young, for the most part, talent in the secondary. Is this the year where they kind of start clicking and this is possibly the year they just have a breakout season? Yeah, I think you're going to see more turnovers from the secondary. And uh, I think they're going to score the football. I, I really feel Christian Fulton, you know, can continue to excel. Uh, he's going to be, a, you know, a, a guy, not a lockdown corner, but he's going to be a, a very very tough matchup for opposing offenses, but more importantly, Caleb Farley, he gets his hand on the football. He, he has potential to score. Really? Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of playmaking ability from him. Lastly, the last thing of the podcast meals with meatball. All my friends in high school called me meatball. Cause I, I used to be a little bigger. I used to carry a little bit of extra weight on me, but <laughs> um, Tennessee tasties, Basically, you name the best three places you've eaten in Tennessee area. It could be out of the state as well because you're on the road as well, you know, covering the teams. But Nashville Nasties is a bad experience you've had in the Nashville area with food. Um, are you a hot chicken kind of person or no? Yeah, yeah, I like the hot chicken. Okay, that's that's the slogan on the podcast. Country music, hot chicken, Nashville living. Just had to ask it. Uh, but give me your top three places you like to eat in, uh, in the Tennessee area. In the Tennessee area, um, I like Slim and Huskies. I like um, bourbon steak is really good. I like the Jamaica way also. Where is that? That's, that's in the farmer's market. It's Jamaican food. Actually, oh, yeah. my daughters and I, we just went there yesterday. Yeah, it's, oh. it's good food there. Brown stew chicken with rice, peas, and cabbage or curry chicken. Um, you get the oxtail. That's really good. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of food too. So if you go there, get that and also get the uh, cola champagne. It's, it's really good. Okay. Good to know. And then give me a little Nashville nasty. You got to have one. I know you do. Yeah. You know, um, it's funny. I was just talking to my other daughter about this last night. Um, the soul food experience has not been the same for me down here. <laughs> what I, I thought it would be. Um, so yeah, I went to a place by H and T um, over there in, in the Antioch area, and the food wasn't as seasoned as, as I thought. It was actually rather bland. So I'd hmm. probably say that was, yeah. Okay. 
Good to know. Well, TD, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been a blast. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Maybe we could have you on in the near future. I don't know. I'm I'm trying to get my, my rounds around the, the Nashville journalism area. So uh, if you're yeah. more than you're more than welcome to come on anytime. Uh, but thank you again for taking the time out of your day to come on the podcast. Yeah, for sure, man. Appreciate it. All right, everybody, that's Teron Davenport. Uh, if you want to find out more about the Nick Frazier podcast in between episodes, you know where to go. Go to Instagram, type in the Nick Frazier podcast, click the follow button, share with a few friends, comment on whatever. Uh, I'll be posting on majority of the platform and maybe a little bit on Twitter. You can follow Teron Davenport. It's TD or T underscore Davenport at NFL, correct? Uh, T Davenport underscore NFL. T Davenport underscore NFL. You can find him there on Twitter. And he has a couple books out you can go read, listen to, all the above. And uh, he has a podcast as well. It's called Talking with TD. You can find it online at any streaming platform. And uh, thank you all for joining on this podcast episode. And we'll see you on the next one. Peace.